This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Satellite 2020. Sorry we got off to a late start. DC traffic is a killer. But uh, my name is Jeffrey Hill. I'm the conference chair, and I'm here with Elon Musk, chief engineer and founder of SpaceX. Elon, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, thanks. Thanks for, thanks for having me. I guess it was uh, 11 years ago that we met. Yeah, and, and when we met 11 years ago, we were talking uh, about Falcon 1, Falcon 9 at the time. And uh, when I asked you, what's, what's the point of all this? You said, it's to send human beings back into space on a US-built rocket from a US-built facility so that we could permanently resettle other, other planets. And here we are. We're right on the, the, the brink here of uh, sending humans back into space. Uh, the, the Crew Dragon is in uh, Cape Canaveral. How do you feel that you're on the doorstep here? Um, yeah, it's great that we're about to launch people to, to orbit. Uh, been a long time. Long um, road. 18 years. Yeah. Kid, kid, could be in, kid could be in college by now. <laughs> yeah. Is it like sending your kid off to college? Well, we haven't done it yet, but it's a long time. You're, you're packing, you're packing the bags, you're, you're ready to go. Can you talk about the, um, the, the talk about the, the road from uh, the space shuttle to the Crew Dragon? Talk about the, the, what are some of the challenges that you faced in creating a, uh, a human-rated uh, space, uh, spacecraft for, for human spaceflight? What were some of the challenges that you encountered along the way? Well, the thing, that, the thing that concerns me most right now is that unless we improve our rate of innovation dramatically, then there is no chance of a base on the moon or a city on Mars. Not, I'll be, yeah. This is my biggest concern. Um, Crew Dragon was, we, we, we've already taken it to the space station and back. Mm -hmm. you know, it's, a lot of people aren't aware of that. Mm -hmm. uh, we just had like a, basically a dummy, you know. So, um, and then since what then, we've done massive amount of testing, you know, pushing all the corner cases uh, and uh, just a, a truly ridiculous amount of, of, of testing. It's like, definitely hat is off to the Dragon engineers and supporting team at NASA for going through a truly staggering number of tests. Um, now, that, now that, that said, uh, Dragon really is just a low Earth orbit transport vehicle. Mm -hmm. um, it's really just, it's capable of taking a few people at what is still a very high cost to Earth orbit. I mean, technically we could send people around the moon on Dragon, but I'm not sure we'd want to. Um, it's just too small. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, it, it, it's good, good to get this done, uh, but it's, I, I think we need to be very careful of getting stuck in a local maximum um, and, you know, the, the space shuttle was something that was really stuck in a local maximum. 
for a long time. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, we, we don't want to be that situation. I mean, fr frankly, wh why, is, why does Soyuz still fly? I mean, Karlov is probably turning in his grave right now. Interesting. It's an interesting question. It was designed in the fifties. Yeah. Right. Right. If you told them, if, if you told Karlov and the other guys that they'd still be, we'd still be playing Soyuz in twenty twenty, they'd be like, "That's crazy." <laughs> Yet we are. Um, so we don't want to be in that situation. You know, it's a solid vehicle. It's just like it's time to move on. Right. Right. And so we, uh, you know, we, I know we started late. I sourced a lot of these questions from the from the public and the audience. We're also going to do a Q and A here. So I'm just going to jump right into the questions that we received. Um, so I mean, the most popular question we got was like, what are the greatest challenges uh, or the biggest challenges we face in expanding our presence in space and exploring and eventually resettling new worlds? There's really just one thing that matters that is a fully and rapidly reusable rocket. Uh, that, that's the one thing that matters. Um, and it needs to be reasonably big uh, or your payload to non-payload ratio will be kind of whacked, uh, you know, won't, won't be good. So just like you wouldn't want a super tanker growing, like, you, when you, you know, for container ships, you have a container ship with thousands of containers. You, you don't, you know, have like a bunch of tiny ships with little outboards on them cruising across the Pacific. That would be silly. Um, so you have big shifts when you want to go long distances with serious cargo. So we need a fairly big, but definitely rapidly and completely reusable rocket. This is the fundamental thing. Without that, we're going nowhere. And um, what level of reusability is uh, SpaceX actively pursuing for, for Falcon 9, for Dragon, for Starship? I think Falcon 9 and Dragon have the, the, their asymptoting, the, their, their, te their technology architecture is asymptoting, meaning like it, it, it really would not make sense to have a block six Falcon 9, you know, from where we are right now. It just doesn't make sense. Um, that's why we have a big focus in terms of new technology development on Starship. Um, well, Falcon and, and Falcon and Dragon are kind of like operational vehicles at this point, so they're 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 good products. They're operational, um, but but there's not really but, but we need a whole new architecture, and that's what Starship is about. Mm -hmm. um, and Starship needs to be fully and completely reusable, and rapidly so. Um, I mean, it's it's being designed for about an you know. To, to be relaunch, relaunched an hour after landing mm -hmm. with, with zero nominal work. Like, you could have scheduled maintenance, you, or you could have, like, something like a spork issue, just like commercial aircraft, but you're expected, the, the only thing you expect to change on a regular basis is propellant. Mm -hmm. um, and it's got to be fast. So, um, now, now that for the ship, you, you, you've got to wait, unless you're launching Dewey's from the equator, you, you've got to have, figure out some way to get, get the, the ship uh, orbital ground track to pass over the landing site, otherwise you're too far away. 
Um, so the ship maybe it might take you know three orbits, four orbits maybe to get back over the the launch site. Uh, but but I think we, we want to aim for a capability of three flights a day for the ship. Wow. Most of which is taken up with getting the orbital you know, ground track to come over the, the launch site. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then an hour for everything else. And you know, every, everybody's in, interested in, in the, uh, the mission to Mars, uh, planetary resettlement. We're talking about reusability for the launch vehicle. Uh, what are your thoughts on in-space resource utilization? Uh, for example, water, oxygen, soil uh, from the moon, perhaps, maybe to go to Mars. Uh, do you have any plans to uh, utilize resources um, in space for the mission to Mars? Uh, nope. I mean, apart from uh, orbital refilling, mm -hmm. I think uh, that's very important. So you've got to. So there's one ex besides a fully and fully and rapidly, rapidly reusable um, rocket. You need to also have orbital refilling or retanking. Mm -hmm. That's got to be. That's fundamental. Because um, then you can essentially recoup uh, all of your mass fraction delta V in Earth orbit. You can leave with full tanks. Um, and it could, could be from immediate low Earth orbit or you know, something that's maybe elliptical or something like that if you want to go higher energy. But that's, that's crucial for getting to, to Mars. The, the moon is neither here nor there. Um, I mean, using the moon would be like, okay, if you want to cross the Atlantic, Maybe you want to go to Iceland, probably not, you know. But you know, to visit, sure. But you know, it's not like a mandatory stop, you know. Right. Yeah. Um, so, and also for the mission to Mars, um, what advancements? We we talk a lot about hardware and physics problems, and, and what about advancements in software? Um, you know. The reason I bring this up, it, it recently, are you familiar with the game designer, Jonathan Blow? He referenced you in a keynote. This show is brought to you by Backblaze. I use Backblaze to back up my podcast, my video files, all of my writing stuff, and all my photos. And you get unlimited computer backup from Macs and PCs for just $7 a month. You can back up your own documents, photos, videos, drawings, projects all of your data and access your backed up data from anywhere in the world using the web app. And you can access the files on your mobile too. iOS, Android apps, all covered. And this is the cool part. This is my favorite part. You can restore it by mail. A hard drive will come to your house with all your data shipped to your door. It could come to your business too. And you can restore return refund program. So you can buy a hard drive restore, send the hard drive back within 30 days and get a full refund. So basically they ship you this hard drive and then you ship it back and you don't ever pay for it, which is the perfect program for somebody who has huge files and you don't want to waste days and days downloading terabytes and teraflops of data. And if you're worried about accidentally deleting your files, two bucks extra a month, you can increase your retention history to one year. And I use it for all of my video files. It comes in super handy. So $7 plus $2, $9 a month, and you get everything backed up. Ease of mind for up to a year. And... If you use the URL backblaze.com slash Elon, you get a fully featured 15-day no credit card required 
free trial. Check it out, play with it, start protecting yourself from potential bad times. Back your stuff up. It's recommended by the New York Times, Inc., Macworld, PC World, LifeWire, Wired, Tom's Guide, 9to5Mac, and more. And it's recently been listed on the NASDAQ Stock Exchange under BLZE, so you know they're legit. Backblaze is committed more than ever to bringing easy and affordable data storage that you can trust. Don't be that person that forgot to back up their important files. We've got your back. Sign up for a free 15-day trial. No credit card required. Go there, sign up, play with it. It's really powerful and it's really easy to use. So go to backblaze.com slash Elon. Backblaze.com slash Elon. Backblaze.com slash Elon. He was given, and he said that you, you had talked about technology naturally decays because skills naturally fade. And one of the things he identified was a decay in software, um, a de degradation in software. Uh, is this something we have to address in, in, in doing something like going to Mars and since all of this stuff runs on software? Well, software is an increasing part of any piece of technology. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, Tesla, the car is extremely configurable. It's basically like a laptop on wheels. Um, so software matters enormously there. Um, and, and really, for, for example, for full autonomy, the only gating factor is software. Mm -hmm. The hardware is all there that's required. It, it has been for the last couple of years. Uh, well, well, the final piece of hardware was upgrading the computer to have more compute power. Um, so software is extremely important. Um, the point you're alluding to, which is that, you know, what I was referring to is technology does not automatically improve. Right. Uh, people are used to the phone being better every year. Um, Although, and I'm an iPhone user, but I think like some of the recent software updates have been like not great. Certainly, feeding it to that point, um, it like broke my email system. Like, what the? This is like quite fundamental. Um, so, yeah, um, there sure is a lot of software out there, and some of it's like the, the people that wrote it are retired or maybe dead. You know, so like now, how do you fix it? It's going to be an issue. Um, I think we definitely need a lot more smart people working software. Um, and not just troubleshooting old problems. Not just troubleshooting old problems. It's actually very important to retire old code bases and, and not just maintain them forever, because mm -hmm. the, the, the difficulty of maintaining them becomes extremely high. Yeah. And at a certain point, you just got to redo the code base. So we'll come back to the Mars mission because I know we've got some uh, audience questions on that. You know, we're at a satellite conference, so I'm going to ask you some questions about satellites. Uh, Starlink. Um, what's the long-term vision for Starlink? Uh, how do you see the role of Starlink as it relates to mobile broadband and 5G? Uh, sure. So, I mean, the, the, the whole purpose of SpaceX is really to help make life multiplanetary. Um, and then, but the revenue potential of launching rocket, launching satellites, servicing the space station, and whatnot, that's you know t taps out around three billion dollars a year. Um, but I think uh, providing broadband is is more like an order of magnitude more than that, probably thirty billion a year, mm -hmm. um, as as a rough approximation. Um, and we're still like probably below five percent at that point. So it's not like 
I want to be clear, like, it's not like Stalinic is some huge threat to telcos. I want to be super clear, it is not. <laughs> uh, in fact, it will be helpful to telcos because uh, Stalinic will, will, will um, serve the hardest to serve customers that uh, telcos otherwise have trouble doing with, with landlines or even with, with uh, cell radio stations, you know, with cell, cell towers. Mm -hmm. um, 5G is, is, is great for high-density situations, like being here in D.C. or, you know, New York, San Francisco, that kind of thing. 5G is great for high-density situations, but it's actually not great for um, the countryside. Mm -hmm. You know, for, for rural areas, it's, it's, not, it's not great. You need, you need range. Um, and so any, any kind of sparse environment, uh, 5G is, is really not, not well-suited. Um, but it's great, great for, in, for, for city, dense, dense city situations. So Starlink will effectively serve the, I don't know, th three or 4% hardest to reach customers for telcos or, or people who simply have no connectivity right now um, or the connectivity is really bad. So I think it, it will be actually helpful um, and take a, a significant load off the traditional telcos. Okay. And I was, I was going to ask you what, what customers uh, you know, were ideally suited for Starlink, but I guess since you mentioned that it would be it would be these uh, three to four percent at the very something like that um, at the very edge. What, what is the customer uh, experience like then for those people, and what's the cost of, uh, of acquiring those services? Um, well, it will be attribute a, a good experience because it'll be very low latency. Mm -hmm. um, and we're targeting latency below 20 milliseconds. Uh, so somebody could, could, could play a, a fast response video game uh, at a competitive level. Right. Like that's the threshold for uh, the latency. Um, so, uh, so then, and, and bandwidth, bandwidth is a very complex question. Um, but let's just say somebody will be able to watch high def movies mm -hmm. um, Play, play video games and do all the things they want to do without noticing speed. Right. Um, and then the, the, the challenge for anything that is uh, space-based is that the, the size of the cell is gigantic. Mm -hmm. you know, so it's, it's, like I said, it's great for, for uh, very low to maybe, maybe medium s uh, sort of sparsity situations, but it's not uh, it's not good for high-density situations. We'll, we'll have some small number of customers in LA, but we, we can't do a lot of customers in LA because the bandwidth per cell is, is simply not uh, high enough. Mm -hmm. um, what does is, what is the equipment on the ground look like for this? What are... yeah, um, so the, the, the ground equipment just looks like, uh, well, I think it's, like I said, I think it looks like a little, it looks like a UFO on a stick. Mm -hmm. um, so. At least the version one of the user terminal will actually have actuators on it so that it can it, it can um, improve the pointing accuracy. So you don't have to. It's very important that you don't need a specialist uh, or some, to install. Um, it, the, the goal is that this that the, the instructions on the box will. There's just two instructions and they can be done in either order. Uh, pointed sky, plug in. We do it either order, sequence doesn't matter, and it will work. Plug and play. Literally. <laughs> but also pointed sky. <laughs> point <and> play. <laughs> can't see the satellites. If you, if you can't see the satellites, it can't see you. Mm -hmm. um, 
just wanted to talk about just some of the design uh, concerns that were raised by astronomers. Um, can you talk about little, a little bit about how you working maybe working with astronomers to alleviate these concerns, or, or are you working on the design or altering it, or, or is, are the concerns uh, overblown? I mean, how do you feel about what has been raised? Um, I I am confident that we will not cause any impact whatsoever in astronomical discoveries. Okay. Zero. That's my prediction. So if, you're not launching them? We'll take corrective action if it's above zero. <laughs> so you're not giving like Orion a hat or anything like that? You're, every, everything's... No, I mean, there's, there's a, sometimes people get a little excited because when the, when the satellites are first uh, launched, Mm -hmm. that they're, they're tumbling a little bit, so they're, like, they're kind of like, they're gonna right. blink, um, and, because they haven't stabilized, um, and then, and they're, they're raising their orbit, so they're, they're lower than you'd expect, and they're kind of necessarily gonna reflect in ways that is not the case when they're on orbit. Uh, but now, now that the satellites are, are on orbit, uh, I'd be impressed if, if somebody can actually tell me where, where all of them are. Mm. I've not met someone who can tell me where all of them are, not even one person. Interesting. Yeah. So, that, I mean, it can't be that big of a deal. We are actually working with senior members of the, uh, the, uh, the, um, the science community and, and senior astronomers to minimize the potential for reflection mm -hmm. uh, of the satellites. So. Um, you know, we're, and we're, we're running a bunch of experiments to, for example, um, uh, just ha have a, a paint the um, phase array antenna black instead of white, um, and we're um, working on a, a sunshade because there there are like certain angles where if the sun gets you know just sort of just right. Um, and there's not like a little sunshade, we're not talking about a lot here, then you can get a reflection. Um, and so we're launching a sunshade, uh, changing the, the, the color of the satellites, um, and otherwise minimizing the, um, the potential for any, any impact. Mm. Uh, e even like a, 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 aesthetically, this, this should not be an impact, I think. Recently, uh, Gwen Shotwell uh, in Bloomberg was quoted as saying that you, know, you were exploring splitting Starlink from SpaceX. Um, could you talk a little bit about that, why that would happen, and how you see both of these independent companies functioning, and, and just talk a little bit about that? We're thinking about that zero. Is that, we're thinking about that what? Zero. Zero? Zero. Not thinking about it at all. We need to make the thing work. Um, it's, it's far from obvious that, I, I mean, it's real important to just set the stage here for LEO communications constellations. Guess how many uh, LEO constellations uh, didn't go bankrupt? Mm -hmm. Zero. Right. Zero. Mm -hmm. um, Iridium's doing okay now, but the Iridium One went bankrupt. Orbcom went bankrupt. Um, Global Star bankrupt, Teledesic bankrupt. Am I leaving anyone out? There's a bunch of others that didn't get very far that also went bankrupt. Anyway, they all went bankrupt. 
So you're focusing on making it work first? Uh, not bankrupt. Right, and not going <laughs> to. That would be a big step. <laughs> to have like more than zero in the not bankrupt category. How would you, I mean, with, how does it work then with the, the, the business of SpaceX since you're like, I mean, you are launching other constellations. Uh, is that, is that a, an issue? Does that cause a, a conflict or? We're launching other constellations? Oh, you're launching other satellites. Oh, right. yeah, sure, whatever, yeah, no problem. Of course. Right. So there's no, like, you know. We're even saying? giving them a good deal, by the way. Like, uh, no problem. You want to launch Constellation on SpaceX? Sounds good to me. So? I mean, I, I think, that, you know, I think there's, there's, the world seems to have an insatiable appetite for bandwidth. So we're certainly happy to launch other satellites. And, uh, you know, we don't think Starlink is like, going to destroy all other satellites or something like that. Or definitely not. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, we just want to be in the not bankrupt category. That's our goal. <laughs> um, since you're, since you're now the company of SpaceX now, you know, you're, you're building your launching satellites, are you, are you looking at expanding the business of SpaceX into other areas of commercial satellite uh, connectivity? Maybe like we, we talked a little bit about the, you know, you're already building like technology on the ground. Are there other areas that you're looking to get into in terms of commercial uh, space connectivity or satellite services? Um, no, we're really, there's just, there's two major new technology programs at SpaceX, that's Starlink and Starship. Mm -hmm. Well, it kind of has star in the name of it too much. I, I, I we just call it like Link and Ship. If you divide the one by the other, mm -hmm. the, the stars net out and then it's just Link and Ship. <laughs> <laughs> but that's it, um, as far as I know, anyway. I mean, it could be some secret project that's so secret, I, even I don't know about it. You don't have a business under the chairs. Uh, <laughs> I don't think there's anything major. Um, so I want to I want to give time for uh, people in the audience to ask some questions. But uh, you know, we talked about uh, Starship. Um, so development at Boca Chica is um, moving along pretty quickly. And uh, uh, yeah, actually, that was the real reason I was late, just because I was at Boca Chica. My apologies. Uh, I was just uh, working on Starship uh, with the team there. So it's pretty cool out there. Actually, I like it. Can you tell us a little bit about the work that's uh, underway. What we can expect in the future for for Starship. Well, we're building a, a production line. Mm -hmm. Pr production line is the hard part. You know, making one of something is, is well, at this point, you know, like frankly, designing rockets is not that hard. Um, especially if it's an expendable rocket, it's not, a, not really a hard problem. You can literally read books that'll tell you exactly how to do it. Um, the, the hard part is now actually building that thing even once is hard. Then building a production line is a thousand percent harder, mm -hmm. uh, like at least a thousand percent harder, yeah. maybe more. So, just in general, production and manufacturing is underappreciated. Um, I think, especially in the U.S., uh, frankly. Uh, so we, we should really pay a lot more attention and care a lot more uh, about manufacturing. Mm -hmm. This is. This is an honest day's work, let me tell you. Um, also, what, what inspired some of the design aesthetics of the spacecraft? I mean, stainless steel, it's a, it's a striking uh, uh, design uh, for, for a spacecraft. But what, what inspired uh, you, you know, your vision for 
the way it looks, the way it functions, like why, why stainless steel, why? Well, we, we were <clears throat> going to make it out of advanced composites. And the advanced composites, they cost like $60 a pound, or $60 a kilogram, like a little more than that, maybe $130 a pound. Um, and there were 60 to 120 plies for the, the tank. It was taking forever. We weren't making good progress. It cost crazy money. And I was like, okay, switching to aluminum lithium is also a pain in the neck. We do that. That's what we use for the Falcon 9 tanks because it's hard to weld because of the reactivity of the lithium. So um, you know what's easy to weld? Steel. Steel is really easy to weld. Uh, and stainless steel doesn't even require paint. That sounds great because the paint shop's a pain in the neck. Hmm. Um, and you want, want to try painting something that's got to go to drop to cryogenic temperatures and then bend a lot? It's like, forget it. I mean, that paint wants to come off like there's no tomorrow. Hmm. Um, it does not like to stick. So then you could use special paint. And then the special paint also can't get, uh, like when you're going vertically at like supersonic, you get the uh, basically static electricity buildup called triboelectrification. Although it reminds me of the trouble of troubles. Um, but you can basically zap yourself mm -hmm. um, if you have uh, paint that, the wrong paint. Mm -hmm. yeah. So anyway, this, no paint is great. Uh, yeah. So we need a big, friggin' big ass paint shop for Starship. Yeah. One like, less problem to think. One about. less problem, mm -hmm. and paint doesn't weigh zero. Right. Um, you know, they, they used to paint the, the shuttle external tank white, but then like, they're like, uh, well, we're adding a lot of weight to this thing, and it's big pain in the neck, so we'll leave, <laughs> just have it stay orange. Yeah. <laughs> um, so just not painting it is great. So. Then, you know, and we're not the first to use steel. Like, um, they used 301 in the early Atlas program. Uh, Charlie Bossert, uh, I think it was, you know, I think it was his idea. Um, obviously, other people involved, but Charlie Bossert, by the way, that guy is underappreciated. He kicks ass. It's really great. Just read about his, his, his stuff. He's, he's just awesome. Um, so, he used 301. Uh, so, obviously, it's not a new alloy. Um, I think we, we're, we're going to start switching to a different alloy pretty soon um, and then just tweak the alloy constituents because we should be able to do better in 2020 than they, were, that they did in like the 50s, you know. So, I mean, come on. So, I think we'll probably start switching away from 301 maybe the next month or two. Okay. Um, now, the funny thing is that, like, I actually knew that steel especially 301 full hard steel couldn't be that heavy because uh, the original Atlas had a very good mass fraction, mm -hmm. right? So it can't be that wrong, bad. Um, and um, if you look at the normal, normal sort of standard material sheet for 301, um, it will usually not tell you what th that it work hardens dramatically and improves the strength dramatically with work hardening um, and also at cryogenic temperatures, it, it improves strength dramatically. So then the, if you combine the work hardening with the, the, the cryo strength improvement, you get an effective uh, strength to weight that is 
about the same as, as advanced composite. Um, now, people will generally make a mistake with composites because they'll look at the material sheet and not realize that, okay, with composites, you've got to have a big knockdown. Because mm -hmm. you basically have composites are string and glue. And so you, you, and, and there, you can't just like have, like let's say your, your problem calls for having four plies of, of carbon. You can't just have four plies. You need like five or six because in case you damage one or something like that. Um, and you say, what's your worst case allowable for a D-bond or something like that? So the actual knockdown you end up taking for composites is more than you would for a metal structure. So people often, so it's, it's like a classic movie mistake is to overrate carbon fiber. Because um, you just, you look at the material data sheet and it looks like an obvious move, but it's not. Um, so anyway, so at hydrogenic temperatures, the steel is, has a de facto strength to weight about the same as advanced composite. Um, but and that doesn't not even counting the fact that you have to paint the composite, you don't have to paint the steel. Right. Um, then there's a, another factor which is, if you want to have a reusable vehicle, it's going to get hot. Right. Uh, composites don't like getting hot. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, typically your, your composite maybe is comfortable up to around 150, 200 Celsius, something like that, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and things start getting pretty sketchy around 250C. I mean, like, you start having to use advanced resins and all that kind of thing. Um, so, whereas steel's pretty happy at 1000C, you know, no, no, and no problem at, fi at 500, you can sit at 500C all day. Um, and brief periods of 1000C, no problem. So, then, for a reusable vehicle, you now need zero heat shielding on the leeward side. Um, normally, you'd need some heat shielding just due to, due to um, radiative heating on the back. Um, so you don't have a lot of convective heating at hypersonic, but you have radiative heating. And then uh, you can thin out the uh, windward side of the, the, the heat shield because the thickness of the, of the heat shield uh, tile is driven by uh, the temperature on the back side of the tile where it mounts the primary structure. Mm -hmm. So if, you go, if your primary structure can take um, a high heat, that means you can thin out the tile. Um, so think, think of it like these like, like oven mitts or something. You know, right. if you have like, how ha hot can your hand go? Um, and that sets how thick your oven mitt is. Right. Um, so, so then you can have, like I said, no, no heat shield on the leeward side on, on a, and, and a thin heat shield on the windward side. Mm -hmm. So now your actual total mass of a steel, uh, of a reusable steel spacecraft is less than that of the most advanced carbon fiber vehicle you could possibly imagine. Yeah, wow. But this is happened by accident, by the way. This may sound like some great insight, but it actually happened because we were moving too slowly on composite, um, and I was like, we cannot move this slowly or we'll go bankrupt. So right. just get, do this with steel. So you ha I mean, the design has to be focused on problem solving. Otherwise, you're going to spend too much time trying to figure it you, you don't start with a, yeah. Yeah, I'm like uh, sort of taking to management, management by rhyming. If the schedule is, schedule is long, your design is wrong. Right. <laughs> this is very true. That's a good, good point. Yes. With that, 
I want to go to some audience questions. We asked uh, the audience through the, uh, the app to submit us questions, so I believe we have uh, a few that we've pulled here. So uh, we've got some over here. Can we, um, and can you come closer over here so we can, we can see you? Just say. All right, our first question. Hello, I'm Jaden Zundel. I'm a graduate student at Stanford. Uh, my question for you is, as you look back on your career in the space industry, what has been the most surprising or unexpected challenge that you faced? And along those lines, if you were to go back in time and talk to your 20-year-old self, would you do anything differently? Go back in time to your 20-year-old self. I mean, I think I'd, if I get it, I think it would make a lot, far fewer mistakes, obviously, if I could go, like, here's a list of all the dumb things you're about to do. Please do not do them. <laughs> Wouldn't we yeah, all? It'd be a very long list. And like, you know, here, let me you know, write it down or something. You know. um, I mean, it's, hindsight's twenty twenty, so it's hard to say. Um, I mean, number of, I've made so many foolish mistakes, I have a luck count, honestly. Um, I mean, some of these things I just wish I, like, the, the, like that's, Simple sort of mantra, management by rhyming. I mean, it, it worked for Homer, okay? Um, the management by rhyming is, the, that thing I was saying, like, if the, if the schedule's long, your design is wrong. We've overcomplicated the design many times. Um, and, and I think we should have just gone with a, a simpler design. Um, with the acid test being, how long will it take to, for this to fly? And if it's gonna take a long time, don't do it. Do something else. Um, if you look at, say, Falcon 9, uh, you know, it's got a, an aluminum-lithium tank, but then the um, unpressurized structures are carbon fiber composite. Mm -hmm. um, and really, one of the worst possible things you could do to a joint is take something with a high coefficient of thermal expansion, high, high CTE, uh, put it, go, take it from room temperature to cryo, um, and then connect it to something that has zero CTE, you know, basically zero, like a carbon fiber. Mm -hmm. So now you've got a, a real pain in the ass joint, basically. Right. Um, so in, in, in order for that, to work, you've got to, the, the tank's got to shrink radially, and you've, you've got these super expensive, heavy bolts that are like a beam and bending across, you know, that, that are then t taking load into the interstage, and they desperately want to shear off uh, or snap off. Um, this is crazy. Um, you know, really should just have a continuous metal structure. But that's obvious, that should be done. That'd be way better. Um, you know, th things expand to fully available resources, so then, like, sometimes you, you should say no to things that you, that you don't. Um, you know, like the original Falcon 1 team, which did the, the, the fairing, tanks, engines, everything, pretty much, was maybe a little over 100 people. Now SpaceX is like 6,000 people, I think, something like that. Um, so, so really just 
simplify your product as much as possible. Um, you know, and, and then like, if, if I think of some of the ways in which, how does a smart engineer make dumb mistakes, including, you know, is optimize something that shouldn't exist. Mm -hmm. Don't optimize something that shouldn't exist. Um, but people are trained to do this in college. You can't say no to the professor. You know, the professor's gonna give you the, the exam and you've gotta answer all the questions or they will get angry. Um, so, and give you a bad grade. So then you, you always optimize, the, you always answer the question. You, a lot of the times you should say this is the wrong question. Right. In fact, the question is definitely wrong to some degree, just how wrong. Um, and I think just generally taking the approach that your design is some degree wrong, probably a lot more than you think, your goal is to make it less wrong over time. Do we have that? Let's go to another question. Hi, my name is Julie Seven Sage, and um, Mr. Musk, you have said in the past that you think that college degrees shouldn't be that important, and that has been showed in job listings in places such as Tesla. However, in uh, places like CIS industry, including even at SpaceX, um, in the satellite development area, many of the job listings say that you need at least a bachelor's degree and prefer at least a master's degree. So my question to you is with um, uh, more jobs asking for higher levels of degrees, the scholarships are not changing amounts and that it's getting harder and harder every year to pay tuition even with using scholarships. How can colleges and industries make it easier to afford college but at the same time being able to pay grad students and employees well, and also to make sure that there is a large-scale access to good colleges, especially to underprivileged communities, so that everyone can be a part of the future we're building. Thank you. Well, first of all, you don't need college to learn, it, learn stuff, okay? Everything is available basically for free. Uh, you can learn anything you want for free. It is not a question of learning. Um, there, there is a value that colleges have, which is like, you know, seeing whether somebody's, is, can somebody work hard at something, including a bunch of sort of annoying homework assignments, and still do their homework assignments, uh, and, and kind of soldier through and, and, and get it done. You know, that's, that's like the, the main value of college. And then also, you, you know, if you, you, if you probably want to hang around with a bunch of people your own age for a while instead of going right into the workforce. Um, so I think colleges are basically for fun and to prove you can do your chores, but they're not for learning. There it is. Um, I know we started late and I know we, we, uh, we don't have much time left, but to build on Julie's question here, um, how does somebody like you with a very long-term mission going to Mars, how are you co cultivating the next generation of leadership to take you there, because I mean, this is this is a long-term project. We might we might not be around to see us finally resettle on Mars, I mean, or maybe maybe. No, I mean, that, I hope I hope I'm not dead by the time uh, people go to Mars. That would be a great uh, a great outcome, I think. Mm -hmm. I might be, you know, 
if we don't improve our pace of progress, I'm definitely, you know, going to be dead before we go to Mars. So um, I'm just like, would like to not be dead when by the time we go to Mars. That's <laughs> my aspiration here. Um, so if it's taken us 18 years just to get ready to do the first people to orbit, we better improve our rate of innovation or, you know, based on past trends, I am definitely going to be dead before Mars. So, uh, so we've got to improve our pace of innovation a lot. Um, so, yeah. Um, I guess what I would say is you, I, I can tell you can uh, see, you, how do you communicate that vision you have to, that, to the, somebody who could maybe take over for what you're doing and to see things the way you're seeing them in terms of the, the, the mission? Well, we have a lot of good, good people at SpaceX that, you know, um, a lot of really talented people. Uh, in fact, I wonder like sometimes w w how we can make use of their talents in the best way because uh, you know, I think we're often not using their talents in the best way. Um, yeah, but I, you know, to the point of the question that was just asked, I want to make sure Tesla recruiting does not have anything that says requires university, because that's absurd. Uh, but there is a requirement of evidence of exceptional ability. Like, you just can't, if you're trying to do something exceptional, they must have evidence of exceptional ability. I don't consider going to college evidence of exceptional ability. In fact, ideally, you dropped out and did something. I mean, obviously, you know, Look at like you know, Gates is a pretty smart guy. He dropped out. Uh, Jobs pretty smart. He dropped out. You know, Larry Ellison, smart guy. He dropped out. I'm like, obviously not needed. So did Shakespeare even go to college? Uh, probably not. I mean, well, I, I'm. Uh, thank you so much. I, I wish we could take more uh, audience questions. I know we have we have a hard stop, but thank you, Elon, for stopping by. Thank you. Let's give him a round of applause for stopping by and speaking to us. Enjoy the rest of your evening and uh, we'll see you soon. Right. Thank, Thank you. you.